Welcome, everybody, to the Health and Wellness Show. Today is Friday, July 20th, 2018. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Erica, Doug, and Elliot, and our very special guest today is Scotty. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hi there. Hello. Hi. Hey. So we have a, a really interesting uh, topic for today, and we're hoping to bring you some, uh, some more detailed info than just our rambling musings about whatever we decide to talk about. <laughs> uh, so today we're talking about wireless technology, how 5G is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, we've talked about EMF pollution and things like that uh, in the past, and I think our listeners are probably gen- generally aware, um, you know, at, at least that you don't want to be saturating yourself with EMF and that that's bad, but that the extent of the EMF pollution that is in our current society is pretty staggering and as they ramp up the uh you know the bandwidth of these networks um it's just going to become more and more problematic so we're going to talk about all of that uh today so scotty who is with us is the uh chief engineer chief technology officer chief everything tech for sot.net and uh he is also an author online and does uh commentary and blog posts at uh scotty's tech info did I get that right yeah cool so Scotty's gonna lend his expertise uh, to our discussion uh, and he just released a, a video on this topic about 5g um, so we're hoping that, uh, that that can provide some context so I guess uh, you know uh, just to start like at the beginning uh, if people aren't aware you've heard over the last number of years 3g 4g 5g um, that basically just means generation. That's the generation of the network. So second, third, fourth, and now fifth. Um, but uh, as each of those generations are released, of course, the bandwidth is increased, so we can send more and more data. Um, but along with that comes this increasing saturation of, uh, of waves all around us, and not just the waves. It's not that it sounds kind of harmless, but it does many other things that we're going to talk about. So, um, Scotty, I guess if you wouldn't mind, just start. Uh, tell us what. Like, what got you interested in this? What was the moment where you were like, I'm going to look into 5G and see what's really the issue here? Well, when I, like I said in, in the video I published the other day, um, I actually kind of started, well, first of all, I'm an electrical engineer, um, graduated uh, a number of years ago, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, I think it was probably about 10 years ago, uh, thereabouts, you know, people kept asking me, you know, uh, what's you know everyone is using Ethernet you know they start going well actually more than ten years ago but um, people would ask me about like Wi-Fi and of course cell phones are becoming more and more popular um, that was way before 2008 actually but um, it was about ten years ago when I kind of decided like oh well I, you know I'm kind of supposed to know about this stuff so let me you know look at some studies and stuff so I I did and um, to say the least they were a little bit concerning. And it's a little bit, it's, it's, it's kind of hard because the, the typical thing that everyone argues, and this is, this is what like the industry, um, there are various groups and organizations that some are industry funded, some are not. Uh, there's like all these testing facilities and these standards like, like the SAR, the specific absorption rate, which is simply a measure of uh, essentially the heating effects of like microwave signals like microwave EMF um, I'm going to 
this gets kind of complicated because you've probably heard the term microwave and also like terahertz and millimeter wave radiation and all that stuff. There are actually multiple yeah. definitions. And so, yeah, to keep things simpler, because actually microwave frequency radio waves, that's actually 300 megahertz to 300 gigahertz technically. But engineers usually talk about microwaves as meaning one to 100 gigahertz. And then the industry, okay. they have their own crazy things that they do, so it gets all complicated. So the, so the short, simple version my... is... Sorry? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so uh, for the layperson, microwaves essentially are, are micro. Is that too dumb to say that? They're, well, that's, that's why actually, they're called microwaves. Yeah, they're like really, really small waves. Like the wavelength sure. is, is really small. But of course, when you get into like millimeter waves, that's actually like 30 to 300 gigahertz. And that's like mm. a really super high frequency. So sure. the, what I usually tell people is like, okay, forget about all that. You've got your cell phones, which are like usually 1.7, 1.8, 1.9 gigahertz. You've got Wi-Fi, which is commonly 2.4 gigahertz. Uh, Bluetooth is 2.4. And there are new flavors of Wi-Fi out now. One of them is 5 gigahertz, and they're coming out with another one that's 60 gigahertz. And 60 gigahertz oh, wow. gets into millimeter wave. Wow. Uh, millimeter wave is roughly 30 gigahertz up to 300 and blah 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 all of that actually is kind of unimportant because it turns out that um, in this study by uh, Martin Paul the, the one called Wi-Fi is an important threat to human health that was published in the journal environmental research uh, published by Elsevier that this this is a paper that basically reviews other Wi-Fi studies and summarizes things and um, one of the core things that they're finding is and it's not just one study it's actually like a whole boatload of them um, I'm probably getting a little bit ahead of myself here but one of the things that they they seem to have discovered is that the actual frequency itself is less important than the fact that it is like a pulsed uh, like a, some kind of digital modulation scheme and of course all these different systems like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and cell phones and they all use uh, different like modulation schemes like modulation encoding yada yada and um, but kind of the point of, of all these studies is that the frequency is not what's important that's not what's actually doing the harm because very often the power levels are very very low and mm -hmm. a good a good way to think about it is if Wi-Fi and Bluetooth are 2.4 gigahertz, uh, a microwave oven that you use to cook your food is 2.45 gigahertz. But a <laughs> microwave oven is like 10,000 times more powerful. So okay. the common argument that people make is, uh, well, yeah, okay, maybe it's like 2.4 gigahertz, whatever. And yeah, that's the, same, that's the same frequency roughly as a microwave oven. But because the power levels are so low, we're not gonna cook anybody's brain and no one's gonna get cancer from it. And that's that's basically what I've heard uh, pretty much all my life. And so then, like I say, about 10 years ago, I started reading some papers about it, and um, it was interesting. But it's, it's also kind of very difficult because nobody really wants to, to listen. I mean, obviously, the industry, once they, once they release all these, these technologies out there, they obviously have a very large investment in not having to change all of their systems because somebody discovered that they're bad for your health. Mm. And on top yeah. of that, you, you have people who, like the actual end users, I'm, I, 
there was actually one guy commenting on my YouTube channel and um, the video before this last one on 5G that I published, the previous video was about how to make a simple little, basically you take a USB cable with a little glowing USB light and you put a ping pong ball over it and you can plug that into your the USB port on your Wi-Fi router and so when you turn your Wi-Fi on, you won't forget to turn it off because you'll have this glowing ball that you can position somewhere convenient so you can huh. see it. Cool. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, that was kind of a, a, a silly little thing because I kept forgetting to, I occasionally turn my Wi-Fi on to, like, you know, update a, you know, like a tablet or something where you can't use an Ethernet dongle. And so I, you know, just kind of a silly little thing. I, you know, I thought it was kind of fun. And I published it, and there was a guy who's kind of a fan of my channel, or at least he was, <laughs> and... He said, you know, um, I was one of the people for like the last 30, 40 years who was developing all these cool wireless technologies. And um, now I'm retired and I just want to play with these cool toys. And it's like, I understand where he's coming from. But yeah, so anyway, I, I published the, this new video on, on 5G on these papers and I was pretty shocked. And he came back again and basically um, more or less told me I was nuts. And then he posted a second time and suggested that I take, uh, I don't know, some kind of anti-anxiety medication. (laughs) 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 And then, you know, somebody else posted and said, you know, well, you know, clearly Scotty has obvious bias and all this kind of stuff. And I'm, you know, and I just replied and said, like, look, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, I, I read the papers and I, I see that there's an obvious, there are obvious concerns here, and my actual recommendation is that there are further studies done, um, mm-hmm. a broad, you know, a very broad, uh, multidisciplinary look at this stuff, because what's happening is you have official industry organizations who are uh, coming out with uh, studies, and then there's one paper by, uh, I think it was by, hang on a minute, uh, Foster and Mulder, and that's apparently used a lot, and um, Paul in his paper here kind of like tears that 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 study to shreds and that's actually a paper that quotes like seven other Wi-Fi studies and it actually turns out that uh, one of the one of the things that Paul says in his paper Wi-Fi is an important threat to human health he basically says point blank that this uh, Foster and Mulder study it, it's um, it's actually uh, quoting seven of these seven other studies supposedly on Wi-Fi and in addition to saying that they weren't actually testing the things about Wi-Fi that make it harmful, uh, of the seven studies that they talk about in that Foster and Mulder paper, uh, two of them were done by one group of researchers and five of them were done by another group of researchers. And among those two groups, they actually shared some researchers. So we're not talking about like seven independent studies where, you know, two or three different groups did some studies and the other you know, four groups were like verifying their results. It was basically all, you know, he doesn't actually say it point blank, but it, it makes it pretty clear that this kind of looks more like something that would be like industry funded to make everyone think that it's okay. Um, yeah. Well, isn't it, isn't it reasonable to think that as, again, from a layperson's perspective, as they add power, um, as the demand for data transfer increases, they're going to have to add power to the system. So as we add power, the uh, you know the signals will become more intense, and then we approach that level of, of where it seems like people who are skeptics now might start to be like, yeah, we probably shouldn't do this. Uh, yeah, do you well, see a point like that happening at all? 
Well, usually what's happened so far is, I mean, back in the early days of, of cell phones, um, you know, like back in the days of, of amps, which was AMPS, so that was like an, the, the old analog uh, phone network. Mm -hmm. That's back in the day when you had like, I, you know, I used to call it like the Motorola battle phone. It was like those big honking things that you had to like <laughs> hold with two hands. It looked like something from an old war movie, you know? Yeah. Um, those, those were analog. And they were like eight or nine hundred megahertz, and then of course a digital version came out, and then this whole mobile internet thing started, you know, slowly over time. And typically, what they do is they don't actually, um, well, it gets a little complicated because the transmit power levels of like a, a cell phone tower, the, the power level itself doesn't necessarily go up, but in mm. order to send more data they have to use higher and higher frequencies. And that's one of the reasons why sure. like like current 4G is like, like I said, 1.7 to 1.9 gigahertz. Uh, using even fancier modulation schemes, there's a limit to the amount of data that you can send because of the actual free, the frequency that they're using. So sure. one of the things they're doing with 5G is they're saying, okay, well, we're gonna use these much higher frequencies. And like in the EU, they said like, uh, somewhere around 24 to 27 gigahertz. The U.S. is supposed to be 28 or 39. Uh, and then in, in still other countries, they're saying, well, we're going to have 5G, but we're going to use lower frequencies like 3.5 or 5 gigahertz instead of, you know, 20 or 30. Um, those systems at the lower frequencies, you're going to have much slower data rates. But typically what they do is they, right. they, they bump the frequency up higher and higher. Now, the problem there is it's it's not only a question of frequency and low power levels because the more users you have uh, the more capacity you need and so the more users you have the more low power antennae you're mounting on towers and buildings and in subway stations because everyone wants connectivity all the time so actually the yeah. power levels are actually going up because you have more transmitter receiving antennas so that everyone can can connect to the network and basically everywhere is is totally saturated um, sure. Uh, Scotty, well, just to bring it back down to basics, I've just got a question to ask. Um, so if I'm understanding correctly, and just for the listeners, um, one of the arguments is that if you were to compare a microwave oven and a cell phone, um, a microwave oven is typically much higher power. Okay, yeah? And so if you put something in a microwave oven, the uh, energy that is emitted actually exerts like a thermal effect. It excites the um, the atoms in the food that you want to cook and it heats it up, yeah? Yeah. Whereas, like the argument is, is that because cell phones are much lower power and they don't exert those thermal effects, that they are safe because of that. Is that what you were alluding to earlier? Yeah, that's that's basically the official story, and what like this Foster and Mulder study, that's basically what they were claiming is like, yeah, because it's so much lower power, there are no heating effects, therefore there's nothing to be concerned about. And that's actually kind of problematic, uh, because as as Paul talks about in his paper, it's it's actually the non-heating effects that they found uh, to be causing the problem, and um, it gets a little bit hairy, but. Um, let me see if I can find my section here. Well, basically, uh, just from memory, um, these various studies that have been done, and um, I should note here that, uh, like this, this Foster and Mulder study, 
that was actually released in 2013, the one that says, oh no, there's nothing wrong. And the other seven studies that it quotes were, they're fairly recent, you know, they're all done like within the past 10 years. Um, but there are studies going back as far as like 1972, where obviously we didn't have like digital cell phone networks back then, but we were actually starting, you know, to use microwave signals for various things. And even back then, uh, many studies were done and, and, you know, people were concerned, but um, that was kind of ignored. And so now, you know, fast forward to today, and we have these various studies basically saying that it's not the power levels that matter. It's not like the so-called microwave oven effect um, that, you know, no one can use that argument and say, oh, well, it's 10,000 time, 10, times less powerful than a microwave oven, so it's not cooking your brain. That means it's perfectly safe. And what Paul is actually saying in his, in his article and in all these, these studies that he's talking about is that it's actually other... Um, other characteristics of the radio waves at these frequencies that matters. And like I said earlier, it's even the specific frequency itself that can have effects. But um, in short, what he's saying is that the pulsed nature of the signals, because it's not like a, uh, it's not like in the old days where you had like a CB radio and it's it's sort of like a modulated analog waveform. It's these it's these crazy digital systems that use kind of pulsed pulsed waves, so to say, and those waves are, are also polarized, which means that, you know, polarization is basically the orientation of the antenna. If the antenna is vertical, then it sort of uh, transmits in one way, and if it's horizontal, it transmits in another, and polarization is basically if you have, if you have two antenna, antennas, uh, and they're both vertical, and then you have another pair of antennas that are both, like, say, horizontal or at a 45-degree angle or something, you can basically send twice the data um, even at the same frequency, and because the, the, the physical orientation of the antennas is different, you can send more data. But apparently, according to um, several studies that, that were done recently, that actual polarization can have a, a very distinct effect on specific structures in the body. Uh, which kind of makes sense when you think about it because, well, we have structures in our body and they're oriented in certain ways, right? I mean, <clears throat> you know, your arms and legs uh, are generally vertical with respect to the ground as opposed to being, of course, you can sit down and that sort of thing. But, um, of course, they're talking about sort of like microstructures in the body and, you know, that gets all kind of complicated. But... Um, and the other thing that, that Paul is saying was that these, these Wi-Fi studies that defend Wi-Fi and say, no, there's nothing wrong with it, is they frequently, uh, they expose their, their test animals to a continuous low-level amount of, say, Wi-Fi, or what they claim is Wi-Fi. And what they found in, in all these studies that have been done is that, it, that uh, basically the, the effects on the human body are worse when the exposure like there are certain windows they call them so it's kind of like there are windows of exposure where because your exposure is not actually constant it's like it's like peaking and waning uh, and there are also even particular times of day or uh, you know if you're a young child versus an adult um, that you're that this sort of non-linear exposure actually enhances the negative effects of things like wi-fi and 4g and 5g whereas when they do these studies to show that wi-fi is perfectly safe they're saying, well, okay, we're going to expose this little mouse to like two hours or five hours of like a low-level signal, and it's like relatively constant. And what they found is, no, 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 that's like, that's actually kind of 
uh, uh, intentionally or unintentionally mischievous because uh, that makes it seem better than it actually is, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It, it, it kind of makes sense. I think of it as like if you have like a piece of uh, food that's stuck to a plate, if you just run water on it, it's probably not going to go anywhere. But if you like, you know, pulse it with a jet, it'll wash off. Like, that, like the pulsing of the signal is actually having more of an effect, even if it's, you know, a similar power range. Yeah, and he, he goes into actually the, the mechanism. This, this is actually the thing that I found the most fascinating about the study is um, he actually goes into, okay, look, well, why, why do these, these, these pulsed signals, why do they have such an effect? And he goes into this thing about uh, voltage-gated calcium channels which, as I understand it, have, like, all kinds of crazy effects. And, I mean, let me just, first of all, like, the list of effects that, that these studies are claiming that Wi-Fi has on the body uh, and also other, like, microwave frequency digital signals are, like, nuts. Like, um, <laughs> just simple oxidative stress, sperm testicular damage, male infertility, uh, neuropsychiatric changes, like, it literally, like, screws with your head, uh, cellular DNA damage, like he goes into detail about how these waves actually can literally like rip DNA apart and and cause problems and mutations and all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, it screws with your melatonin, which which messes up your sleep. It um, oh god, it, I mean it goes on and on. It's like abnormal postnatal development. It disrupts the development of teeth. Can cause changes in your heart and circulatory system. And even one of my favorites is, uh, he writes, growth stimulation of adipose stem cells, and then in parentheses puts role in obesity. And, <laughs> you know, wow, what, you know, Wi-Fi could be making us fat? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, I mean, he's, he's got a list of all the studies here that, that looked at these specific things, and, and you look at those studies and you go, well, geez, like, this is pretty, you know, I mean, it, it should be fairly concerning to pretty much anyone, but um, especially the fact that it appears that you know, Wi-Fi is so common in schools and you can understand why this is the case because, well, I, I suppose you could argue that, you know, like five and six-year-old children sitting in a classroom don't actually need a Wi-Fi connected tablet to learn because, I mean, you know, back in my day, we used books. <laughs> we used books and we had to fashion our own pencils out of, you know, tree limbs or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But you can understand why they use Wi-Fi in schools, because if you have a classroom that has 30 desks in it, what are you going to do, run Ethernet cables to every desk? So in terms of, like, the cost-effectiveness, well, of course, they're just going to put, they don't even need a Wi-Fi box in every classroom. They could put, like, a few down the hallway, and boom, everybody's covered. Yeah. And so, you know, economically, you can understand why they do it, but then, um, you know, parents come forward and say, you know, I'm concerned about this, this Wi-Fi, and it's affecting my, my child's health, and... And basically, people look at them like they're crazy. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's a curse of convenience uh, that, like, that even the people who may know about the information that you're talking about are still kind of like the the man who was on your YouTube. You know, like, hey, I just want to play with this stuff. You know, maybe like if you pressed him a little bit, he would admit that he doesn't really want to think about how it might be dangerous because it's super convenient and fun. You know, and that's I think where a lot yeah. of people are at. Unfortunately, it's kind of like if you were to ride your motorbike down the road a mile and don't put your helmet on because you're like, I'm only going a mile. It's like that kind of attitude. Yeah. Yeah. 
the thing we, the thing is when you put it in schools and dr paul even said in his um in the paper that scott he's been talking about is that children's brains their nervous system is is still developing um and the the size of the skull and the thickness of the skull is much smaller and much thinner than an adult and um this essentially makes a child uh, much more susceptible to the effects of the of, of these frequencies but something really interesting that you said in the um, in the video Scotty well, let me try and remember it um, sorry I've lost it basically about how yeah so he was talking in the paper about how because a child's stem cells uh, sorry what did you say about the stem cells about how because it, 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 it destroys it, it, it basically breaks down the stem cells, it attacks the stem cells and you only have a certain amount of stem cells in, in your entire lifetime and if your parents have been exposed to this they pass them down onto their children and so the children have already probably screwed stem cells to begin with and then they're being attacked from the Wi-Fi at school. Yeah, <laughs> it, it actually gets because the, what uh, what he actually writes, uh, and I had it, and now I just lost it. Uh, he writes, however, he, he talks about the, the, the skull thing, like you just said, and then he says, however, there are other arguments to be made. EMFs have shown to be particularly active in producing effects on embryonic stem cells. And then he goes on to say, like, look, uh, you know, children have much more of these stem cells, and these are the cells that turn into any other cell. And basically you're you're possibly like ruining your your child's development but in another part of the paper he even goes into the possibility that the damage that wi-fi is causing is a possible explanation for the the rise in autism which mm. is something that you know a lot of people are talking about like where does autism come from and is it is it like you know chemicals is it is it you know, toxic food is it gmos is it um and uh they, they found at least a tentative link between the effects of being saturated in, in, in Wi-Fi, including and especially when, like, you know, the mother is pregnant and, and the fetus is developing. If it's slathered in Wi-Fi all the time, um, yeah, like, that could be a problem. So it's, I mean, as rabbit holes go, like, it's pretty deep and it's, it's pretty... Um, it's pretty shocking actually and I, like I totally understand why you know people want to play with their toys and everything but um, you know my, I mean my, my take on it is like look we've got enough studies now and it's been going on for like decades now where now would be the time to actually really take a hard look at it and for for people to be actually concerned and to actually kind of band together and do something about it and what yeah. the, the something that should be done is is these studies should be looked at more seriously doctors should be aware of the studies and and because you know i'm sure there are doctors out there who are doing other studies uh on various things or they're wondering you know why do i have so many patients with autism all of a sudden and then here's a possible link and then they have something to contribute to the discussion and everybody kind of gets together and 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 that doesn't necessarily mean we have to get rid of wi-fi it doesn't mean we have to get rid of all pulsed radio signals because if everybody actually worked together you know physics chemistry biochemistry doctors engineers you know everybody 
you it's it's entirely possible that there is a specific characteristic of pulsed radio waves that could be mitigated possibly even with just a software update that it wouldn't cost a whole lot of money but of course no one's going to do it unless um tons of people start dying uh tons of people start getting sick uh, the industry is basically brought to heel um and and that's actually another thing that that paul talks about in, in this study is it's like well how do you actually do how do you do like a thorough study now because it's it's like even if you do i mean you know i don't use wi-fi in the house except for very rarely if i absolutely have to uh, i don't use like wireless keyboards and mice with bluetooth because i you know it's there's just no reason to uh, i use my cell phone as little as possible uh, i live in an area that's relatively you know like i get very bad cell reception inside the house so i'm, I'm happy with that you know i live in a rural area and um and so i try to minimize my exposure but you know there are there are two cell towers like two or three kilometers away um there are satellites whizzing overhead transmitting these you know high frequency digital signals every and of course the, again the power level is very low and that's the argument wow but the power level from a satellite it's so low it doesn't matter and again what the studies are showing is like yeah the, the power level itself doesn't actually matter it's um it's all the other effects, all the other characteristics of these pulsed signals that are that are causing the problem, the polarization, that kind of thing. Um, so it's how how would you do like a thorough controlled study? Because how would yeah. you have a control group? I mean, yeah, kids, right. somebody who's like twenty years old today, they've they they could be, you know, blasted by it their whole lives. And is that having if it's having neurological effects? I mean, look at the state of the world and certain social movements and and this kind of thing. And you go with you know. Does that have an effect? Does it? Are there interactions between? You know, there are so many people in, like in America in particular, who are on prescription drugs. Well, um, if if Wi-Fi is having these neurological effects, the studies have shown. Well, you know, what what are they playing some role in the need for all this medication? Uh, are there interactive effects between Wi-Fi and you know taking medication X, Y, or Z? And there is actually a hint in one of these studies that that, that may very well be the case. Um, uh, this is kind of a bad example, but there was a, these VGCCs, these voltage-gated calcium channels, um, those are apparently implicated in tinnitus, the ringing in the ears. And so they kind of say, like, yeah, all those people who, who say, like, you know, oh, my ears ring when I'm, when you, when I'm near the Wi-Fi, um, they may not be crazy after all because there is actually a physical mechanism by which that could occur, mm -hmm. but enough people have to, you know, care. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, there are so many variables. I mean, it's like trying to pick a spice out of a soup. I mean, you know, I wonder if we're even at a point where we, like, obviously it would do us good to do these measures that you're talking about. Uh, but I wonder if you know if it's um, how much of a difference it would make when you combine it with everything else with all the prescriptions and with the state of our diet and, and industrial pollution and all that but that's not I don't mean to be dismissive this is something we need to look at I think like you're saying people will need to see uh, the damage uh, and see that it's you know that it outweighs what they see as benefits like uh, I live in a fairly rural area too and we just got uh, there are still quite a few places here where you can go you know away from cell service but there's an area where there's long story short a bunch of uh, trails that are very popular so they put up 
some cell towers there and there was kind of a stink in the community but the argument was that um, people needed to have that service in case they had an emergency in the woods you know which they never needed enough. it before yeah but people have been having emergencies in our woods for many years <laughs> you know yeah. uh, so but you know then it's hard when somebody argues safety then for the community to be like nah you know that that discussion doesn't go very well so I think but people haven't seen the uh, the negative effects of this yet and people who are talking about feeling Wi-Fi or being damaged by it are, are still unfortunately I think in like the tinfoil hat kind of sector in exactly. most people's eyes in, that, you know. that's kind of encouraged too like I mean the, the, the number of uh, you know getting ready for the show is kind of just looking at some mainstream stuff and seeing what people are saying and the number of people who are just like and it's not just that they're like, no, those people don't know what they're talking about. It's like it's, there's a lot of derision in it as well. Like really, like these people are insane. They're crazy. They're nutcases. Like, you know, we have studies showing that this stuff is safe. And like really like just, you know, so dismissive. And, and I think that, you know, I think that's probably been on purpose, um, whether it's been driven by industry or not, or it's just like you said, people who want to play with their toys. But um, it really, like, it's so divisive. Like, as soon as you, you, if I was to post anything on my Facebook talking about the dangers of Wi-Fi, I would have, I would be flooded with comments of people talking about how retarded I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the problem oh, with, say... oh, sorry, sorry, I was, I was just going to say the problem with this is it's so insidious because mm -hmm. the effects can go, <laughs> they can go under the radar. Um, and that's the thing, and it's with these people, uh, someone on the chat just said, a friend of mine gets a headache from using a cell phone. And it's almost like, to some extent, these people are kind of lucky, because they are, their body is in some way acutely aware or sensitive to the detrimental effects that these frequencies are having on the body, whereas the vast majority of people don't have that sense, and we can't feel the effects that it's having like when you change your diet you clean up your diet and then you go out and you eat something bad you know about it but the problem with this is that you don't feel it <laughs> and yet the effects may be they may be even more substantial than eating a poor diet you know because yeah. they there's no way for the body to detoxify this stuff essentially it's not like yeah. a chemical in biochemistry you can conjugate some toxin and clear it out via the urine or the feces that's natural like even man-made chemicals you can bind and you've got detoxification systems designed to do that but you don't have detoxification systems designed to deal with this altered electromagnetic environment or at least that we know of and so this is why it's really kind of disturbing. For sure. I've been in some offices uh, in uh, Palo Alto where it's, you can just feel, you know, it, it's like it's background yeah. signal. But all I can, my point being, all I can personally attest to, uh, if I really search my memory for it, is this sense of like somebody standing behind me, sort of. Like a sense that something is slightly off. But I personally can't say that I actually felt that. I didn't feel anything from that. But I know that people do. And I think that's what you're saying is so insidious, is that even in a place where you know that it's just like completely saturated, every corner of the place is, is totally drenched with, with signals, that um, to me that's a scary thing, that I can't sense you know, a feeling about that. Um, but I was going to ask Erica, you said you've had some 
experiences with that? Like what, what kind of sensations do you get and what do you notice? Um, well, for one, the ringing in the ear, for sure. It doesn't happen mm. all the time. I don't constantly have tinnitus. But I, I was at the Google campus a few years ago, mm. and I felt like I could actually see it. I know that's going to sound super out there. <laughs> but but it was almost like a, like a fog, it looked like. And then, um, like, not being able to think clearly. I mean, I've shared this before on the show, being in an airport, and you just feel like your brain is just a little bit discombobulated and um, it's, it's hard to really put into words. But I've been reading about the studies for like 10 years because I had young kids that wanted cell phones and we were really adamant about not allowing that. And you know, you read the studies about brain tumors and this and that, but what, with what Scotty recently shared it really kind of sent home the message that the whole brain tumor thing is just kind of a distraction like oh well they don't cause brain tumors so they're safe and they don't bring up any other of the stuff that Scotty just mentioned you know yeah. what I mean the behavior issues the the even you know getting fat thing it's like you see more and more people lethargic and not moving around and they're constantly got a device so what does that mean I mean is that Am I going tinfoil hat there for sure? I don't know. But I've always been really concerned about it. And even in schools, like the fact that all these children are basically guinea pigs and we don't really know what's going to happen. Maybe it'll take 10 or 20 years. It's kind of like the GMO food thing. Like maybe in 20 years they'll go, oh, we maybe shouldn't have done that. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. What, what the studies are actually are saying is, is that you know the, that the effects of of Wi-Fi, cell phone signals, the upcoming 5G, all that kind of stuff. That the effects are cumulative, and one of the problems that they very clearly point out is that because the the effects are cumulative, um, we may be basically right now we may be on the verge of seeing all the all the real problems start. Like there are some people who are who are more sensitive to it than others, and of course we don't actually know the reasons why that might be because no one is you know as as a as a society we're not actually banding together to study it we're basically just listening to the the taking the easy out and saying ah well but there is these seven studies and they showed that there's no heating effects so you know it doesn't mm -hmm. give you brain cancer it doesn't cook your brain perfectly safe yeah. and but the effects are cumulative and i mean there's there's the thing about um it damages sperm cells in men possibly even leading to infertility and there was a study they did where they they took uh, like it's like a couple two pairs of mice and they put them in these uh, they call them antenna parks so I imagine you know in the middle of a you know cell phone towers you know the little fenced in area where they've got a bunch of towers with an antennas on it and stuff and they they did a, a, a study and they said okay let's put these you know a male and a female mouse in a cage and let them breed there and and then they had another location and then other locations where there you know there were no no antennas and stuff and they found that i think it was by the uh i think it was by the fifth generation of mice they could no longer reproduce and hmm. now that's like you know it's it's easy to say ah oh, well you know fifth generation you know i'll be dead by then but well yeah but you know your kids won't and your children's children you know well, it's yeah, funny you mentioned that. Line, it's like you, you have to care about it. Because how could you not care about it? Even if it's yeah. your children's 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 children, whatever. Um, 
and and then you know like like the sperm damage it's it's not just the fact that you could become uh you could become uh what's the word sterile <clears throat> sterile thank you uh it's the fact that it's actually causing dna damage and that damage is actually passed on to your children so like basically the father could have damaged dna which he passes on to the mother they have a baby then then the fetus is developing and it's actually being bombarded which is causing further damage and then the child is born and like right off the bat like from even before conception damage had the damage had been done and then yeah. from birth on it's just you know saturated all the time and so you know the theory is that that we're going to start seeing more and more of this type of problem and of course um everyone is looking in other directions which and you know some of those other directions like environmental toxins and poor food and all that obviously those things most likely play a role uh but not enough people i think are actually looking at the effect that this sort of emf smog has and i also just yeah, wanted to say that i i don't i myself am not actually sensitive to these things like i've never had a problem but what first got me interested in it 10 years ago was that i had a very good friend who was sick and she was um basically there was wi-fi in the house you know at that time and um the idea came up like well geez you know maybe it's the wi-fi because you know reading some studies and stuff and the minute the wi-fi was gone uh she started to improve and I've actually, I mean, I've known many people who are sensitive to it. They claim they get headaches, they have tinnitus, they have all these effects. And like, I personally am not sensitive to it. And of course, yes, in certain ways, my life would be uh, more convenient if I could have all these wonderful wireless things. But um, I mean, for me personally, I just, I looked at all this and I went, okay, all these people can't be crazy. And then I read the studies and I go, okay, yeah, they're not crazy. And, you know, there you have it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'd, I hate to say it, but I don't think it's going anywhere. Uh, yeah. I think that we're kind of locked into this path of progress until something goes horribly wrong. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, it seems just... that way. I know that we always end up in kind of like a defeatist opinion, but, you know, it just <laughs> it seems that way. But I think that, um, you know, what what can uh, what can people do about it? You know, because it's the same thing like with food. We say we can change your diet or, you know. With this, you're talking about moving, uh, and so that's not available for a lot of people. Yeah, um, I think it's you can you can minimize. I mean, like to my way of thinking, it's essentially minimize your exposure. You know, it's like yeah. I said, you you can't escape you can't escape, uh, you know, multi gigahertz digital signals raining down on your head from satellites. You can't escape, uh, you know, cell phone towers. I mean, if you've got one ten feet away from your house, um, that may actually be better because depending on in what direction the antenna are aimed and various other factors. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it gets kind of complicated, but I think for me, it's like with everything, it's like, I don't have to have Wi-Fi in the house. I can run ethernet cables everywhere. In fact, that's even better because if you're ever like updating the software on like a tablet or a smartphone or something, very often the, the device will actually tell you Oh, by the way, don't use Wi-Fi to update this device because if the if the file that it's downloading, if the connection drops out, the file could become corrupted, and it'll brick your device. So they'll often say like, you know, connect this, make sure you're on a wired network and everything. And of course, wired networks, like with Ethernet, are like 100% reliable. 
unless you yeah. cut a cable or something. Yeah. Um, you don't have to have a smartphone with you at all times. You don't have to have your smartphone on in next to your head while you're sleeping because, well, what the hell for? You're sleeping, right? Right. <laughs> um, and, and other things, like, you just can't avoid. You know, if you're in, like, a like a hotel or you're even on, like, you know, public transportation and, you know, they have, like, oh, free Wi-Fi on the, on the airliner now when you're, you know, flying to Zimbabwe or something. Um, you know, there are certain things you can't avoid, but at the very least, you can minimize your exposure and you can take steps to minimize, you know, your children's exposure and that kind of thing. And um, to me, that's just kind of, like, good old-fashioned common sense. Uh, and if, you know, if that's all you can do, then that's what you can do. But it's, it's the same with diet and, and health because it's like, well, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go like paleo or keto or something. I'm going to lower my carb intake or some people seem to do better on like, you know, vegetarian or vegan diets or whatever. Uh, okay. Well, you know, like where are you getting your meat from? Is it, is it pumped full of hormones? You know, if you're like a vegetarian or something, where are you getting your produce from? Because even when you mm -hmm. go to health food stores, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know what I mean? It's like if, if I if I grow apples in my yard or something, I know what pesticides have been put on them, you know, probably none. And you know the variety of apple and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, but you can never you can never be 100 percent safe, but you can you can make efforts to to minimize exposure, maximize the health of things that you eat and that sort of thing. And all of those steps, they may seem kind of fruitless, but for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to do all those things because I'm going to give my body as good a chance as possible to heal and repair itself. Because we know that, like, we're, we're learning crazy things. Like, there was an article I read, like, a couple months ago where they said, yeah, you know that little chunk of weird-looking stuff, like, inside your gut somewhere? Uh, they had a name for it. They're like, yeah, we think that might actually be a new organ. And, and I read the paper or the article and I'm going, how the hell after, after like hundreds of years of like chopping people open, nobody ever looked at that thing and said, this might actually do something. So, I mean, even in terms of medical science, you know, we don't know everything. And in terms of, of even, you know, like reading all this Wi-Fi stuff, it made me think of, um, um, you know, they talk about voltage gated calcium channels and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, it made me think of two things. It made me think of uh, Gerald Pollack and his his concept of structured water. Yeah. Because his his theory is that uh, you know, he says basically his book is absolutely fascinating. Everybody should read it. Um, it's called the crap. Fourth I can't remember. Water. Yeah. yeah. Cells, gels, and mechanics, or yeah. cell yeah. cells, gels, and the engines of life as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that one too. But the the fourth uh, was it the fourth phase of water. Was that was that I what you said? Yeah, yeah. I think that was it. That that was the one that I read that kind of blew my mind. And he talks about, you know, in modern science and medicine, they say that well, you know, you have a cell, and the cell actually has all these little like like little little channels and gates, and I forget what they call them, but it's like he says like you know, considering the size of a cell, how on earth would one tiny little cell have all these little doorways on it that are letting molecules in and out and he goes okay if if the water is structured water which is oh you'd have to read the book it gets complicated but it's basically things diffuse in and out based on a principle that he came up with and of course they're they're doing all these studies and and you go well geez that explains all kinds of stuff um and it really makes you wonder like well how much do we really know uh and then the other thing it made me think of was um 
reading these papers, I thought of, I think you guys did an interview with him, uh, with Val Brown and the whole neurooptimal thing, mm-hmm. because um, he seems to have a th- this this view that's not very popular in his field that the brain is, I think they call it like holonomic or holographic, and it's basically yeah. the idea that the the brain doesn't have individual sections where each little section, this is my speech center, this is my, you know, m- motor center, blah blah blah, whatever. That it's kind of like a. The brain is sort of like holographic in nature, so one part can take over for the other, and that essentially there's this idea that the whole brain uh, doesn't actually work the way that we, we we think it does. And then you put that together with the idea that this, this Wi-Fi, these studies that have shown that maybe it's not so good and it's having these negative effects like neurologically, and you go, well, geez, you know, uh, is is there something there? And for me, it's like, I know I can't. I know it's 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 kind of hopeless in a sense, right? Because you can't actually get out of the soup. It's like we're stuck in the soup. You're going to be bombarded. All you can do is minimize your exposure. But I'm an engineer, and engineers like to solve problems. So I look at all this and I go, "Oh, look, what a fascinating problem to solve." Hmm. And and the solution to that problem, like I said before, doesn't mean we have to like get rid of everything that we love, you know, in terms of, you know, playing Pokemon Go and walking off a cliff. Because um, you're not looking where you're going. <laughs> if if people want to walk off cliffs while playing Pokemon Go, there that's totally okay. We can we can still have that. It's, <laughs> but maybe we could have it with, uh, you know, something that's a little bit safer for for our children, for ourselves, for long term health, and you know. Yeah, I mean that's the problem with uh, with the the industry just completely denying that there's any issue whatsoever. It's like, as, as long as they take that position, then nobody's trying to solve it. Because everybody's like, oh, well, I guess it's okay. I guess we're fine. And there's no public demand for these problems to be solved. Uh, so I think I think that they do like a lot more damage by taking the hard line. Yeah. In response to uh, the question about what, what can we do about it, um, I was looking at some of the mechanics um, of how this is said to work, like the the biochemistry, and I think that there's some things that we can sort of <clears throat> hypothesize might be beneficial in protecting ourselves against it. Um, but I think in order to understand why, it's important to delve just a little bit deeper into the whole VGCC thing. It's basically the voltage-gated calcium channels. So they've got this really cool, long-sounding name. But basically, as per my understanding, they are just, um, they're like floodgates, okay? So inside the cell, you store calcium ions, you store lots of different mineral ions, um, but calcium is stored, and these voltage-gated calcium channels are basically like sensors. It's like a gate and it's very sensitive to fluctuations in the electromagnetic environment, okay? And so when something triggers this gate to open, you get a flood of calcium ions. And these travel inside the cell, and they exert lots of different effects. But generally, in biology, um, what calcium ions do inside a cell is they activate things. So they activate specific functions. It's all about action. So you just have to associate calcium with action, okay? So the way that a neuron fires depends on calcium. 
um, for certain things for enzymes to work and different substances to be released and for mitochondria to produce energy, you need flows of calcium to activate that process. Okay, so a lot of the studies which link back Wi-Fi to things like neuropsychiatric conditions, well, if you look at a neuropsychiatric condition like, let's say, obsessive-compulsive disorder or schizophrenia or something like that, very often what they find is that there is excessive activity in the nervous system. It's like constant action, constant firing of neurons. And when neurons fire faster than they should, you get you get lots of what are called free radicals, okay? And these basically damage the neurons, they damage the DNA, and they damage various parts of the brain. And so if we look at Wi-Fi's effects and electromagnetic frequencies in, in general, the, the non-native ones that we've put, created over the past couple of years, they activate these floodgates, you might call them, they cause calcium to be released into the cells and they cause this excessive neuronal activity. And so this basically burns out the nervous system. The cells die and you get lots of damage to the brain. And so you think of a developing fetus uh, and a child who's born autistic, um, it's, it's, there's, there's a, a very clear mechanistic link here between the use of Wi-Fi, excessive neuronal activity and cell death in the nervous system, and then a child being born autistic, because autism is essentially brain damage, okay? Um, and so that's, a, that's an interesting link there. And one thing I would just like to add to that, uh, to give some context, is that when you get excessive calcium in the nervous system, it also activates the release of uh, a chemical called nitric oxide. So nitric oxide is very useful. It's used all throughout the body, and its general function is to dilate blood vessels. So we need it in the right amounts. But when it's produced in excess, um, which is what, these electromagnetic frequencies actually do they cause your brain to produce too much nitric oxide this in and of itself um, can go on to produce lots of free radicals and this produces damage in the brain but it also binds to the part of the cell which makes energy which is the mitochondria and if anyone's looked into the effects of photobiomodulation or red light therapy or infrared light therapy um, one of the reasons why it's actually so beneficial is because it kind of neutralizes nit nitric oxide. So in various conditions where they found that nitric oxide is produced in excess and it's causing a problem for the brain and for the energy production, um, by shining red light directly onto the, the skin, uh, it penetrates into the cell and it can actually help to neutralize the nitric oxide. So based on this, I would imagine, I'm not sure if there's any studies that have been done on it, but I would imagine that using some form of infrared light therapy, preferably near infrared light therapy, um, preferably directly into the brain via the, you can do it via the nasal passage, or you can shine it directly on the head, but I'm not sure if it gets through the skull. I have to recheck that one. Um, but there are ways to get it into the brain. Um, I would imagine that by using red light therapy or photobiomodulation that you may be able to mitigate some of the 
um, toxic effects of the nitric oxide produced from the Wi-Fi. Um, I'm not sure if that's 100%, but that would mechanistically be possible. Okay, so can I just say thanks for that explanation of VGCCs because that was like, that's kind of what I understood, but you just like fleshed it out perfectly for me because, yeah, I was a little bit confused there. So like that was super awesome. And second, I just wanted to say that I swear by near-infrared therapy because I actually have a um, like a, a near-infrared, I think it's like 850 nanometer in, in infrared, I call it. And um, it's like really good. I mean, if I have anything, if I have, if I do like a crazy workout or I have some aches and pains, I just lie in the thing for 15 minutes. And yeah, that's probably like a whole other, that's probably a whole other show. Yeah. Hmm. That's really cool. Is that something you kind of put together yourself, or is that something you can guess? Is it like yeah, that was for the that was a uh, well, not not just me, but uh, I did all the electrical the wiring stuff and sure and uh, yeah, it's uh, I mean I was I was kind of skeptical at first, you know, because you go like, well, come on, I mean, I mean, you, there, there's all kinds of of information out there on it and studies and everything, and uh, in fact, yeah. they use infrared light as this sort of like newfangled therapy in many places and. Um, you know, in, in the country, wherever you are, that that may not be the case, but um, oftentimes overseas, quote unquote, um, they're using all kinds of, uh, like the Russians apparently are using millimeter waves, you know, these evil rays we're talking about, they're using them in a, a, a therapeutic way. They did some, like, some experiments and they found that you can actually use these waves to heal, hmm. but okay, unfortunately Russians. there were side effects like these these evil millimeter waves they're like yes you can use them to heal i mean we're talking like star trek stuff here you know we're like wow you know <laughs> dr beverly crusher waves her little glowing magic <laughs> wand over your arm and like magically heals it but then yeah. then they also discovered oops it actually also causes damage so we're gonna have to rethink that one mm. uh, and that's actually in in one of these studies that i found so um <laughs> but it, it also kind of illustrates that it's it's like it can it's like anything can be bad if it's, you know, used too much or used in the wrong way or, you know, and that just got me thinking like, man, like what if we could change, I mean, you know, I'm, I know I'm kind of a dreamer here, but, um, you know, what if we could change all this stuff, use a different kind of modulation, change this, change that, you know, modify the pulsing nature and do something that's actually, that's actually helpful or even healing to the body. Of course, it probably wouldn't be helpful to everybody, but... I know that's really far out, but you know the point is that, um, yeah, there it's. Well, I think we need to start some kind of a, uh, like a consortium or a movement of engineers, you know, like like engineers for 9/11 Truth or something like that. Engineers for Wi-Fi awareness. <laughs> yeah. I think they they've already started. Um, I think they they created a system. Uh, it's called Li-Fi. I'm not sure about the safety of that, but I think they use. Um, like visible light or I don't know if it's visible but on the website I think you spell it L L I F I so just Li-Fi and I think that they were trying to use like a completely different system like what you were talking about Scotty um, but I don't know if that's like up and running yet or not yeah I, I saw that like um, a little while ago and they're they're I think they're basically just trying to use uh, essentially just non-visible light pulses so in, you know if you, if you have like an office area instead of having wi-fi you just have like a essentially like an optical 
transmitter receiver like in the ceiling and that would be aimed at little like receiving modules at each person's desk and the only problem is of course you have to have line of sight and if you break the beam well they'd have to you know they'd have to have some sort of software mechanism to compensate for you know temporarily broken beams and stuff so um it but i mean the thing there is that um that's not necessarily a horrible idea despite that limitation because when you start getting into like these millimeter waves and like 60 gigahertz wi-fi and and you know 20 or 30 gigahertz cell phone signals these frequencies like each frequency kind of acts differently and so as they as they bump the frequencies up higher and higher one of the problems like with 5g is that the frequencies that they're going to be using in most countries are going to be so high that the waves actually propagate differently which means they're going to have to install like up to 200 times more an antennas everywhere so they're actually wow. talking about putting like a 5g antenna on every electrical pole like along roads wow. so you're going to have like this phenomenal number which you know i mean you just stop and think about that for a minute like who's going to pay for all that like that's a yeah. that's an insane amount of of uh i mean the first thing you think is oh god it's going to get get horrible and then you go well you know all this stuff costs money and like you know no one's going to pay like you know three thousand dollars for for a smartphone to to help fund the you know to help fund the installation of 200 times more antennas everywhere so no i mean yeah i mean I, as a normal user and of course i'm taking on a persona here but i better be able to get my goddamn Netflix without wait a second, and it should be free, or maybe cost me ten bucks like a month from now. Like that's that's the prevailing attitude for all of this stuff. So yeah, I don't think, yeah. you know, that uh, that cost is going to be it, cost is not going to be a problem for people until they realize that they can't get it because it costs too much. Yeah. Does anybody know how so, soon this five G is supposed to be coming out? Because it seems like they've been talking about this since like 2015 or so, and well, it's always like right around the corner. That's that's kind of like one of the strange things about it is like I mean it's good that people are concerned about it. Um, it would probably be better if everyone understood that they probably should have been concerned about 4G and 3G and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and all these things yeah. like a long time ago. Um, yeah. But you know we'll take what we can get. Um, it's 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 not like it's coming next month. I think in uh, I actually just looked online earlier today, and some companies in the U.S. like like you know cellular providers, they're they've already decided like okay we're tentatively going to use you know these frequencies for our 5G networks. Um, apparently, they're actually like designing systems like to test and say like okay will this work at you know this distance? What's the maximum data rate we're going to get and so it's it's still like um, as far as I can tell it's still in a very experimental stage and nothing has really been finalized hmm. and like many countries around the world they're talking about yeah yeah we want 5G they're kind of like jumping on the bandwagon but as far as I can tell they haven't actually done anything about it yet really they're probably hmm. waiting to you know buy equipment from um, you know some other country or something but uh, so yeah it's it's not like it's coming next month it'll it'll be a while um, I think it was like Verizon or somebody. There were a couple, like Verizon, AT and T. Some some companies in the U.S. were slated to have their first test 5G networks rolled out in like a few cities around the U.S. in the second half of 2018. Uh, but we're kind of there right now, and uh, I don't know. Maybe they have, but I haven't actually seen any news about it or anything. So 
Well, I was just reading about how the FCC recently voted to exclude base stations for new Wi-Fi, 5G wireless networks from review under federal environmental and historic preservation laws. And they're saying almost two dozen states have passed laws that were pushed by wireless lobby groups to override local ordinances that would regulate the siting of these base stations. So the FCC is involved. Obviously, they're discussing about putting it on every telephone pole in the United States. And oh even with uh, neighborhoods, you know, saying we don't want technology, they're just going to bypass that, you know? That's yeah, what yeah. it sounds like. There's a lot of, like, uh, environmental implications, too, not just, um, you know, marring the landscape, so to speak, or, uh, visually, but, uh, you know, harming bees uh, with the increased frequency. The thing that came up here with the cell phone towers that I was referring to earlier, part of the stink about that was they're right in a bird migration corridor, and it's a it's a big thing. Like birds come up from South America and they fly right through this specific spot, and so everybody's concerned that that might interrupt the the patterns. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that I'm sure there's many, many, many that we have no idea about yet. What's really interesting about like the natural aspect of things so like migrating birds and things um, I was reading a book uh, a couple of years ago it was called uh, the coming age of quantum biology and it was talking about how they never really understood how birds could find their direction um, how they could have such precision in their migration and everything like that and what they actually found there's a couple of uh, quantum physicists, or they call themselves quantum biologists, and they were talking about magnetoreception. So there's um, there's like a certain amount of magnetite in the cells that line a part of the, the bird's uh, head, I think it is. I can't remember the details. Mm -hmm. It was basically talking yeah. about how it was picking up on the natural sort of EMF present in the in the local environment and it was the electromagnetic fields which it was detecting and allowing it to sort of align itself with those fields and then fly in the direction toward where it needed to go and so they were sort of positing that it's like a quantum physics uh, mechanism it's 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 mm -hmm. not just that they see and follow the other birds um, and then you, you take into consideration how you've got all of this non-native artificial electro smog. And it's like, what is that doing to this bird's natural navigation system? It, it's completely throwing it out. And then you get 5G and potentially it's going to get a lot worse. It's like it's not just affecting human beings. It's affecting every single aspect of the planet. Yeah, well, I, I can see it in a lot of natural forms, too, like uh, fish um, or the salmon run uh, gets less and less every year. Um, you know, you hear stories about back in the day when it's like you couldn't even see the bottom of the river because there were so many fish. And the same thing with uh, we have a migrating fish called smelt that's kind of like a small herring, and they have decreased vastly over the last number of years. So who knows? I mean, I imagine that also has to do with pollution and a bunch of other factors, but I'm sure that this plays a role in it especially in any kind of like, you know, large pattern migration like that. And, I, you know, I can't help but think about the bees, too. I know people have talked about that for, for a number of years now, that, you know, the bee problem is very real um, and what could be causing it. I know pesticides have been pointed to as a, as a major factor, but I have to imagine that this plays a role. 
Actually, uh, that's fees are mentioned in in one of these studies uh, related mm -hmm. to the VGCCs or and and the magnetite that that Elliot was talking about. Um, yeah, so they 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 didn't really directly say it. I don't think, if I remember correctly, but they kind of just tossed it out there that you know, um, basically Wi-Fi could be having an effect on bees as well, um, in isolation from other you know pesticides and other environmental factors. Who knows? But um, that's right. apparently another possibility for the the, the bee die-offs and the strange behavior and all that kind of stuff. So, well. Well, I wonder. Uh, I had meant to ask this earlier. Have you ever looked into grounding as a way of dealing with EMF saturation? Well, I, I, I did. I, I actually I have a couple couple different things. I, I have I, I store my my smartphone, which I don't use anymore except as a camera to make YouTube videos. And when I'm not <clears> using it, I store it and my dumb phone in my very own stylish Faraday box that I made. Oh, nice. <laughs> And uh, that was actually kind of interesting because that's something that people ask me a lot. They say, like, <clears throat> you know, um, if I sleep with a grounded metal mesh under my mattress, will that reduce my exposure to, you know, to, like, cell phone signals and that kind of thing? And um, the answer to that is, as far as I know, no. But I actually did that for a while, and... Um, there was a period of time where I was having kind of odd headaches, and so I, I you know, made a little, I think it was like a, uh, a uh, I think it was a steel mesh or something, I'm not sure, and put it like underneath my mattress and grounded it, you know, and uh, for a while it actually helped a lot, and I slept really well, headaches went down, uh, but then I had to unplug it because it seemed they, they, they came back, and you know, so it was, it was kind of an, that, that experiment was sort of inconclusive, but um, <clears throat> Anyway, people asking about like you know can I can I put up like uh, you know copper mesh curtains and and uh, um, it's very difficult to actually shield yourself completely, uh, especially you know the higher the frequency, the smaller the waves, uh, and um, in order to have like a proper Faraday cage, uh, all a Faraday cage is is one continuous metal box, and if it's not continuous and it has like uh, gaps in it like doors are an especially big problem uh, because anywhere you have a gap where it's not one solid sort of metal shell around you or your house or whatever uh, you can it, it basically leaks essentially well no what's the it, it can't be a, a Faraday cage but also be a screen so how does that work with the holes like well, a metal screen <laughs> will that not work a really fine mesh yeah it will but it depends on it depends on the frequency because the ah. higher the frequency, the the shorter the wavelength, and the shorter the sure. wavelength, the smaller the holes have to be. That's sure. like the easy way to think about it. So, yeah. Um, but as we get higher and higher, you know, if you if it's solid metal, well, then it should it should block most frequencies. But the other thing to keep in mind is that um, it depends on like the transmitting and receiving power. So they don't actually block signals; they actually attenuate them. And yeah, like it. Like Faraday caves are like an entire science in and of themselves, so it's not mm -hmm. quite as simple as like just throw up some some copper mesh curtains and you're done. It's like right. a really darn complicated subject. Um, sure. So I, I kind so of like the... just experiment, see see if you feel better, you know. But yeah, you need yeah. something sort of thorough. So not like in the spy movies where they go into the big cage in the warehouse and it's like you know four inch diameter like fencing. 
and that's their Faraday cage. Yeah, yeah, that that wouldn't work nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> and that's another thing is uh, people always say like, well, why would I build my own little Faraday box when I could just put my cell phone in the microwave? Because that's what Ed Snowden did, right? And it's like, well. <laughs> Yeah, that's what Ed Snowden did, but he obviously didn't understand. Because all you have to do is take your cell phone, turn it on, put it inside your microwave oven, and then go to a landline and call it, and uh, mm -hmm. it'll ring like nine times out of ten. Oh, yes. It's not the right frequency. The door isn't sealed perfectly for those specific frequencies, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so at 2.45 gigahertz, which is the frequencies microwave ovens use, it's very good. But if you diverge from that frequency, then... Um, Certainly, it'll help attenuate the signal a little bit, but like, yeah, not uh, in most cases, it's not a very good Faraday cage for like a cell phone or, or anything sure. like that. So all the, um, and I have one of these like for traveling, the RFID blocker wallets, probably kind of a scam. I mean, um, I guess some I of those, like, I might as are, well use it. Yeah, some of those are actually very good. Um, mm. They're just usually fairly pricely. Like you can buy like a bag, they, they call it like, you know, the FBI Faraday bag, nine thousand yeah. <laughs> or something, and you know, and they're like, yeah. some of them are like up to like almost a hundred dollars, you know. And all it is mm -hmm. is a bag with a, with like foil lined, and then they have a, they have a, usually they have some kind of special patented seal because again, like that seal, wherever it opens, that's where you need to make sure you have like full, full contact between you know the two metal sides, um, sure. and also little RFID blockers, like those are probably far more likely to work because RFID is relatively low power and um yeah it's it's right it gets kind of hairy because it's like well you know I, I mean i could make a faraday box and and someone who is uh it'll work perfectly for me but then um if um i actually made two faraday box videos because i made the first one and i tested it here where i live but i didn't think about the fact that i'm so far away from the cell towers that yeah, of course it blocked the signals for me, but someone who like lives in the middle of a city, the intensity mm. of of the of the cell phone network signals there is going to be much higher. Sure. So then I went, "Oops." So then I had to do a second box where I did like super thorough tests with like a Wi-Fi router sitting literally like 5 inches away from my Faraday box and it and it blocked all the signals, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it it gets complicated cuz it's like whoa power levels and so what you're concerned with there is the is the output of the phone right what the phone is receiving is not really i mean obviously it's a concern but you can't do anything about it because that's coming in from everywhere else i don't know if i'm thinking about this correctly yeah well, like if you, you put, put it, your... if, you, if you put something inside a faraday cage it can't transmit out and it can't and nothing right. it can't receive in either so it's, right, uh, but I guess what I'm saying is that doesn't stop your body from getting those waves that are coming in, but you are mitigating the transmission of the phone outward for your own health is what I'm referring to. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, like, oh, if I'm well, in an area, like, if I live next to a cell phone tower and I put my phone in a Faraday box, I'm still getting hit. My body is still getting hit with everything oh, yeah, from yeah, the of tower. Course. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But yeah, it's, so you you're still to... mitigating the, the one factor. Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to put your whole that 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 thing that I did actually kind of, I made my little my first Faraday box that was after I did um, a video on <clears throat> how all this wonderful ways that you know like Google and everybody are spying on you and, and and then I thought you know wouldn't it be cool and of course they can like you know turn many phones on remotely and all this other kind of stuff so I thought well wouldn't it be cool if I kept my I kept my phone in my very own Faraday box 
and so that's that's why I made it. That was also kind of like just for fun, and I ended up learning all kinds yeah. of stuff about Faraday cages and how difficult it is. And um, but yeah, if I mean, if you wanted to actually for for health purposes, you, well, heck, you'd have to basically turn your entire house into a Faraday cage, and you have to make a metal house, right? It's very difficult to do, and there's there's also a very common misconception that Faraday cages have to be grounded, and actually they do in certain instances for certain reasons, but for the purposes of just blocking radio waves, it's normally better if they're not grounded. Mm-hmm. But like I say, that gets into all kinds of crazy. So in short, it's it's not very easy to uh, block like all these evil rays, you know, and especially yeah. the higher the frequency gets, it becomes more difficult. Um, yeah. So you're not really going to be like Gene Hackman in Enemy of the State and like sit inside yeah. your, your chain link fence in the middle of your living room yeah. and go like, I'm perfectly safe for everyone. Like, no, that's yeah. that's not going to work. So your best your best <laughs> option is to just minimize exposure as much as possible. Um, that right. kind of brings up an interesting question, though, kind of related to what Jonathan was saying. I mean, I had heard before that, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, if you have, you know, if you don't actually, if you're not using a device that's actually sending and receiving that you are to a certain extent mitigating some of those um, effects so you could be in a wi-fi environment but if you're not actually using a wi-fi connected device it's going to be better in some way is that actually true well i would say yes for the simple reason that like like if i if i have my laptop and i'm in the middle of an airport and of course there's there's wi-fi all around me right and if i'm surrounded by 10 people who are all using the Wi-Fi there, all of their laptops are actually transmitting and all of the Wi-Fi and antenna in, in the airport are also transmitting. But if right. I get up and I walk over to another, you know, I'm not using the Wi-Fi on my laptop, right? I get up and I walk, you know, 20 or 30 meters away to another part of the airport where no one is sitting there using the Wi-Fi. I'm still being hit by the Wi-Fi coming from the airport's antennae, but I'm not actually you know, I'm not getting the extra saturation uh, from the Wi-Fi transmitter that's that's actually in my uh, in my laptop. Okay, um, sure. Like the other thing I, I I've said to people for a long time is like if you have a cell phone uh, and you have your cell, usually the the, an, the antennas for the antenna or antennas for your your cell phone are on the back cover, which makes sense, right? Because you hold the phone up to your head. And of course, in order to get good reception, you want the antennas on the back of the phone. Of course, your hand is there holding it, which causes problems. But um, so, if you're going to keep it in your pocket, keep it with the with the screen facing your body, if you mm-hmm. have to have it and, and have it on. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is like um, I'm, I'm I live in France, and this is kind of problematic for for driving if I if I want to have a cell phone on because they don't allow you, it's illegal to actually have a cell phone in your hand when you're driving. They changed this like a couple years ago. So if you actually are expecting a call or you know something's going on, um, you have to actually use the Bluetooth hands-free thing in your car. That's like the only way they'll let you use a phone. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, there, either you call people before you leave and then you turn off the Bluetooth in your car and you turn off your phone or you just have to sit there and be blasted by it and yeah get a get a yeah. horse and carriage instead i mean you know there, <laughs> there's some things that you just can't escape you know and yeah um that's why that's why i say like my policy is just basically like minimize as much as possible um, yeah. i mean i realize it's not very simple for a lot of, you know especially like people if you live in a city or something or you live in an apartment block uh, how you know if your neighbor has wi-fi well there you go you know it, it 
but still at the same time even if your neighbor has wi-fi if you use ethernet cables instead you know you've just cut your exposure in half so and if you do have to use wi-fi like i like i, I like i was saying earlier i have a wi-fi router that's it's you know hooked up to my ethernet network and when i need to do do something with wi-fi with one of my gizmos i turn this box on and um but when i first got it i logged into the web interface because you can usually go into the configuration and there's a there's a power level setting so obviously the high you know it defaults to highest power level because you know normally a person would buy this wi-fi router put it in the center of their house and they go yay i've got coverage all over my house well i get it and i go okay i don't I don't want first of all it makes it easier for someone trying to hack into your your wi-fi it makes it much easier because the transmit power is higher so i log into the gizmo and i configure it all uh security settings and all that kind of stuff of course but i also go into like the 2.4 and the 5g radio settings there's like a page in the in the, the web ui for the router and i actually say you know turn the transmit power down as low as possible which means i'm when I do have my Wi-Fi on there again, I'm getting bombarded way the heck less than I mm-hmm. than I would be if it was at you know at, at full power. So yeah, that's a good idea. There's, there's all kinds of stuff you can do to to, to minimize and eliminate like when they put 200 times more uh, 5G antennas everywhere. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> what about um, what about silk? And I remember reading about that some time ago, um, that Silk had some mitigating properties similar to, but not identical, of course, to a Faraday cage. I, I know actually several people who swear by Silk. They're, they're kind of electrosensitive, <laughs> and they say when they wear Silk, they feel absolutely fabulous. And I've noticed, like, I have, you know, some uh, kind of like Silk long johns, and um, I actually feel fairly good when I wear them, uh, but I also sweat like a pig. Uh, I know people don't sweat, but it's just an expression. Because um, I find it very hot, you know? But but like I said, I, I do... I don't know... It, like, I've never actually found any, any explanation as to how, how that works, but it appears that it does. And, um, yeah, that's actually, that's actually like, on my, my list. It's on, it's on my list of, of things to figure out because uh, sure. it seems to actually work, but there's no reason that I can see why it should. But of course, yeah, that it must be something. Doesn't. Yeah, it must be something about the nature of the fibers, combined with the tightness of the weave, that makes that you know. But it's got to be some kind of thing with the structure of the fibers themselves, I would imagine. Yeah, that's maybe they're possible. crystalline somehow. Who knows? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot. I mean, like I said about the discovering a new organ in the body, and then this idea that may, you know structured water may play a role in our cells, and I mean. There's so many things that like we don't know and I think that's one of the things I find so irritating when like when people come on my channel and they they get all hot and bothered because they say like well you know you're trying to take my Wi-Fi away from me and everything and and it's like you know I'm I'm just naturally kind of a curious person I guess and um, there's so much that we don't know there's so many things about I mean we, we can't even agree on actually how the brain works you know there's mm-hmm. a lot of evidence to indicate that it is kind of this holographic way and this neuro thing really seems to work and it's based on a concept that the mainstream most of them anyway actually think is complete bunk and yet it really works well so obviously Mm -hmm. there's something going on there and like what is it you know like why why are more people not more curious about that you know that's Mm -hmm. that's what i want to know um yeah 
and so that's another reason why I, you know, I found these these studies so interesting is because, you know, for years and years, I mean, after I read these first studies 10 years ago, I went, geez, you know, there's, there's something bad here. And I really kind of had a hunch that the problem was not the frequency and it wasn't the, the heating effect. It was all these other aspects of the signal, specifically that they were digital, because it just mm -hmm. seemed to sort of like make sense. And then I found these studies and I was kind of excited because it's, it's sort of confirming my suspicion from years ago, you know. Um, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> Prophets always have the best time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's com I completely agree, though, Scotty. Um, and that's just the nature of science, isn't it? Like, we think that we have things figured out, and then people find out new things, and then it completely just flies in the face of everything that people thought that they understood. And then yeah. they have to like go back to the drawing board and then try all again. Um, and there's this one thing that I recently found out that I just wanted to briefly mention here because it, it's kind of related to the topic, but it it also is a good example of how we really don't know as much as we think that we know. It's about um, I was listening to another interview by a doctor. Uh, who kind of specializes in um, Wi-Fi and electromagnetic uh, pollution and things like that. And he was basically talking about, he, he treats a lot of people with like chronic Lyme or chronic infections and gut issues and everything. And he says that one of the first things that he tells all of his patients to do is to get rid or minimize their exposure to the electromagnetic radiation so the Wi-Fi and the cell phones and things and he says he has two kinds of patients he has the ones who get better and the ones who don't get better and the only difference between the ones who get better and who don't get better is the ones who get better are the ones who take the precautions in terms of minimizing their exposure to Wi-Fi and stuff and he, he, you know, he was talking about like gut health, for instance, about how we compartmentalize the human body and we think, okay, everything that has to do with gut health, okay, so it's the, nutri the nutrients, the toxins, all of that, the ordinary stuff that someone would look at if they were focusing on the gut. But what he was talking about recently is this very cutting edge research that's practically unknown. Um, but it's in the realm of sort of like biophysics and he's talking about the gut bacteria and about how basically just in short there was this biophysicist um, a couple of years ago his name's Dr. Fritz Albert Pop and he found that basically cells all living cells whether they be bacterial or human or eukaryotic basically they they release small bursts of light and he called them biophotons and so there's been lots of work done on on these biophotons over the years and basically the idea is is that the cells release light this this very low low level light and it's a way that they communicate with one another and so basically it turns out that the cells that release the most light are the ones of bacterial origin so they're called prokaryotic cells. So the, the gut bacteria, in this context, the gut bacteria are responsible for producing massive amounts of light. Okay, And that, that is proposed as one of the mechanisms by which the human body gets information from the gut bacteria 
and how they communicate with one another. And there's these bacteria all over the body. They're not just in the gut. They're in the brain. They're in the nervous system. They're in all of our organs. And they're constantly releasing these small bursts of light and communicating with the, with the cells in lots of different ways. And one of the the real detrimental effects in, in this doctor's opinion is named Dr. Dietrich Klinghart. He believes that potentially one of the main reasons why uh, these frequencies, this electromagnetic radiation is so detrimental is because it disrupts the, the communication, uh, the, the electromagnetic communication between um, various cells in our body and the bacteria that, that occupies our body. And he talks about how when basically when you bombard the body with Wi-Fi, it muddies the waters completely like how you know like i was saying before about when the birds they need to know they they like sense the electromagnetic environment to be able to navigate well he he's basically talking about research which is showing that our cells and the the bacteria that occupy the human body also need to sense the electromagnetic environment and the, and basically communicate with one another to make sure that things are working well and that when you introduce this artificial thing then then you're completely disrupting that whole system and so like as he said the only way that his his patients got better is when they minimize their exposure because they could do everything else they could take all the supplements they could do all the diet do all the lifestyle changes but if they carried on with the electromagnetic frequencies they they stayed ill and I thought that was really amazing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That is interesting. Well, that has the faint smell of empirical data. <laughs> Close. Well, that's cool. Um, I think we are kind of uh, coming up on our time here. Let's. Uh, we have a pet health segment for today from Zoya, so let's go to that, and then when we come back, we'll do some closing remarks. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. Many of us are familiar with an old English phrase, raining cats and dogs, or with casting pearls before swine. Apparently, every culture has its own unique phrases or idioms that involves animals. But more so, it appears that humans from different cultures anthropomorphize different animals to represent the same human traits. Listen to the following segment to learn more about it. And have a great weekend. This video is sponsored by Skillshare. Hi, this is Emily from Minute Earth. In Australia and the US, when it's bright and sunny outside and then it suddenly starts raining, people call it a sun shower, which kind of makes sense. But in England and Japan, people call that same thing a fox's wedding. And in India, it's called a jackal's wedding. In Syria and Lebanon, it's a rat's wedding. In Iran and Armenia, it's a wolf's wedding. You get the idea. The expression is super common, even if no one today remembers exactly what simultaneous rain and shine have to do with the nuptial rights of animals. But the bigger question is why animals play such an elephantine role in our expressions in general. It's tempting to think that it's because animals have really well-defined features and behaviors that are easy to point to. Like, everyone knows that monkeys are silly and owls are wise. Except, those are just sayings in English-speaking countries. 
In China, monkeys are considered regal, and in India, calling someone an owl means you think they're foolish. But maybe the way we use animals in language can tell us something about ourselves. Take the old saying, do not cast pearls before swine. A different version of this expression exists in many cultures. In Spain, it's don't give honey to donkeys. In India, it's don't give ginger to monkeys. And in Japan, it's don't give coins to cats. Humans in general seem to agree that you shouldn't give a good thing to someone who won't appreciate it. But the animal we use in that expression depends on which culture we come from. And this is true for all sorts of expressions. An American might say, don't count your chickens before they hatch, to warn someone not to get ahead of themselves. But a French person might instead say, don't sell the bear's skin before it's been killed. And while an English person might say that you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig, a Spanish-speaking person might say that a monkey in silk is still a monkey. And while someone from the U.S. might say that a kooky person has bats in the belfry, a French person might say they have spiders on the ceiling. But even if we don't all use specific animals the same way in all our languages, humans around the world love our animal expressions. If you don't, you might be a black sheep. Or, as the Russians would say, a white crow. Is it raining goats? <laughs> goats and dogs. Right. I don't know, I don't have a better one for that. <laughs> Did it get you? Well, that was really away? interesting. <laughs> um, so, uh, to our topic, I guess, wrapping up. So we talked about things that you can do. And, Scotty, I really appreciate you going over all of that. Um, and uh, that's something that I have to remind myself of. It's just those little factors even down to like moving away from a crowd of people that have laptops if you're in the airport that kind of thing uh it's worth keeping in mind and the uh the day-to-day -day, you know where's your phone is it on does it need to be on um those are things i struggle with you know reminding myself of all the time so it's really important to to keep thinking about it yeah <clears throat> well like i say i don't uh you know, I mean, I wish I had sort of like a magic solution for all of it. And, you know, I, yeah. I personally find it kind of frustrating because, you know, it's like there's there are like like all these studies that that I found, you know, it's it's there's obviously like what appears to me to be some very good science being done. And then on mm -hmm. the other hand, you have this sort of established these other established uh, groups, scientists, authorities, um, you know corporations and stuff who are basically kind of fighting back against it and you know real science is is exploratory and it's keeping an open mind and it's it's thinking about mm -hmm. you know it's it's like me with the you know the infrared bed you know um maybe that goes along with the whole biophoton idea and, and vgccs and wi-fi and um i think it's you know science is you know come up with a hypothesis and then conduct an experiment and then you know you have to have a control group and all and all this kind of stuff and there's very there, there should be very little room in there for uh emotional reactions to things because that's mm -hmm. that's not really obviously that's that's not really science that's that's people going crazy you know so um i hope that more people will become aware of this stuff and if if nothing else just take these simple steps to to help uh, protect themselves and minimize impact on health while at the same time considering like all the other stuff that you know you guys talk about and that I'm interested in and health and diet and um, you know environmental toxins and 
um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, maybe maybe if we each do a little part and um, just try to try to minimize and, and stay as healthy as possible, uh, and also, you know, share things on Facebook and, and get get some of this, this information out there and, and let people look at it and make up their own minds and. Um, I think I think it's you know we always want someone who's like you know come in and save us all and and that's not really how it's going to work you know I think it's right. it's going to be like more of a collective thing and um, I'm heartened to see that not only are you know many people interested in my video and um, <clears throat> thank you guys for having me on the show um, but also like um, just you know ten years ago uh, around here anyway there there was no like there were no gluten-free products in the shop, right? You know, like wheat-free. And now it's like, it's it's almost like a meme in and of itself. You know, there's, there's yeah. this whole trend, like gluten-free and dairy-free. And I mean, you know, 10 years ago, I was one of those people that everyone looked at me like I had seven heads because I yeah. went, you know, I'm not really sensitive to wheat, but I think I'm going to cut it out. And when I did, I felt so much better. And I was trying to like tell everybody about it and they're going, you're nuts. And here we are 10 years later and like everybody's doing it, you know? So I think we should never <clears throat> underestimate the effect that we have and that you know kind of just gently share and keep researching and keep you know keep pushing forward and and maybe uh maybe we'll have more of more of an effect than we think and we don't have to be well we can be depressed about it <laughs> but not too depressed. yes i reserve the right to stay depressed <laughs> but no that's great uh man on that note i don't know if we could say it any better than that so uh I really think that that's great advice for people. Um, so do your work, do your research, you know, check into this stuff. Oh, and uh, how can people find your, your YouTube channel? They just search for, search for Scotty's Tech. Um, yeah, you can search for scottystech.info on YouTube or just go to scottystech.info.com, which is S-C-O-T-T-I-E-S tech.info. I know that's kind of... I couldn't get a better domain than that. <laughs> Even back in 2008 when I bought it, it was like, everything's taken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, cool. So be sure to check out scottystech.info uh, and listen to the, uh, the SOT radio shows coming up this weekend. So go to radio.sot.net uh, and we will be back next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening and taking part in the chat. We'll see you in a week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye.